This is episode 116 with Elite Trail Ultramarathoner, winner of the Blue Sky Marathon, and last year's Silver Rush 50 miler, Miss Abby Hall. Here we are again, runners. This is Jason Fitzgerald, and I'm excited for this episode. We're talking to pro ultra marathoner, trail runner, and generally amazing human being, Abby Hall, about transitioning to longer distances after being a middle distance athlete. When she thinks it's a good idea to drop out of a race, what surprised her most when she started competing in these long trail races, and what she considers her biggest failure. Abby is an incredible athlete, having placed in the top 10 at races like UTMB, CCC, Lake Sonoma, and North Face 50-mile championships. She's a global athlete for Adidas and is also sponsored by Ultimate Direction, Lakey, Unived, and CTS. I also want to thank SteadyMD for sponsoring this episode. SteadyMD pairs you with a primary care doctor online who's available via phone, text, or video for all of your needs. And this isn't just any doctor, but it's a fellow runner who understands the training process and can easily order you blood work, referrals for specialists, or whatever else that you need. Go to SteadyMD.com strengthrunning to learn more and reserve your spot. All right, let's move on to our conversation with Abby Hall. First, I want to recommend that you go back to episode 113, where I asked Abby, as well as two other pro runners, how they fuel for different types of runs, races, and what might change if the distance of their race was a lot shorter. In this conversation, we're focusing on her transition from being an 800-meter runner to trail ultramarathons and the specific challenges and needs of these long events. Without further ado... Please welcome Ms. Abby Hall. Abby, it is good to chat with you again. Yeah, Jason, likewise. Thanks for having me on the show. Absolutely. And we met uh, about a month ago, I think, and we were at an inside tracker event up in Boulder. And I I walked into that thing blind. This was uh, an event where I moderated a discussion with you and a bunch of other pro trail runners about recovery and performance and nutrition. And uh, we had never met before. So thanks for making it really easy for me on the night. That was uh, a really great time for me. Yeah, absolutely. That was a cool event. And I feel like we could have all probably kept talking for a lot longer. So it's good to continue the conversation here. Well, it was literally cool. We were outside in the evening and I was freezing in just a t-shirt. I thought we were going to be inside. So (laughs) even though we probably could have talked for hours and hours, it's probably a good thing that we probably uh, cut it short around 8.30. I know. I think it was, you know, billed as like a fireside chat, but we somehow were quite far from the fire. But uh, yeah, I think I was like awkwardly shivering during some of my responses to questions. So I swear that wasn't just me being an awkward uh, speaker. (laughs) Well, I I kept looking for the fire. And instead of a fire, we had like a bubbling brook next to us, which was very pretty and beautiful, but it didn't make anything warmer. Yeah, that's true. It wasn't too shabby of a setting overall, though. But (laughs) All right. Let's rewind the clock a little bit. I was watching an earlier interview with you, and I learned that you did your first trail race when you were in fifth grade. I would love to learn more about that because most folks aren't running trail races when they're in elementary school. Totally. Yeah. So I, yeah, like, like you said, yeah, I ran my first trail race in fifth grade, um, actually ran it with my family. We, we did it, um, the three of us, my parents and I, and all signed up for the race together. It was, I was living in Vermont at the time. So, um, there were tons of awesome trails right in the area. And, uh, 
Like it was a really cool little community where I think you could sign up for this like race group and kind of participate in all the races in the series. Uh, so we did that. And I think like, I obviously got pretty excited about it because then, you know, signed up for cross country when I got to middle school and like, I can still look back and find all of my old running journals from that time, which are really sweet. And like, you know, three miles in the rain, legs felt good. (laughs) It's like kind of fun to look back on all that now. Yeah. So that was like the seed that started it all, wasn't it? Oh, totally. Yeah. It's actually, it's funny you bring up that age because just like a couple days ago, my mom sent me this like journal entry or letter I had written to myself or something from around that age. And I talk about wanting to pursue running professionally. And I think I was like totally that kid. Like I was very starry eyed about, you know, pursuing athletics really seriously and wanted to be in the Olympics and all this. And, uh, so it's, it's fun to look back on those days and see it like, you know, how it lines up to life now. I guess it's not too weird to do a, a trail race when you're in elementary school. My, my daughter was only five last year and she did uh, a one and a half mile obstacle course race down in Castle Rock, Colorado. So no yeah, we've we, she wanted to do it and we were like, sure, let's, let's go for it. That's so cool. That's amazing. Five years old. I love it. Yeah. I mean, it was for kids and and it was, you know, mostly fun and, you know, you're kind of just playing around and having fun on the obstacles. But, uh, she, she finished and it was like 90 degrees. It was sunny. And you know how the sun in Colorado in the summer is just really, really strong. And it was like, can I go again? (laughs) (laughs) That's fantastic. Starting her, starting her young, but it sounds like she's the one like leading the way and stoked about it, which is cool. Oh yeah. Like she's the one, I mean, she does like pull-ups before she goes to school just cause it's fun for her. And we have like a pull-up bar that we break out and put up in the kitchen. And yeah, she, she was two and a half years old and she said that she wanted to go for a run with me after dinner. So I'm like, Oh, okay, sure. And I had a stomach full of food and this girl two and a half years old brought me for like a mile run after dinner that I, I was wearing flip-flops. I really was not ready for that, but <laughs> yeah, it's totally her. That's so cool. I love that. So Abby, I have to say, I feel a certain kinship with you because we both ran track at small D3 schools. And um, I don't find a lot of pro runners who come from a D3 school. So mm-hmm. that's so interesting. I love it. What school did you go to? I went to Connecticut College in wow. New London, Connecticut. Oh, awesome. That's so great. Yeah. Yeah. D3 was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. I mean, yeah, it was it was like a good it was good for where I was at with running and life. And um, yeah, like I, I kind of look back and I'm like, I think I was a pretty mediocre college runner. And that was kind of like a, I don't know, I was like a little burned out looking back, but um, it was like still a really cool part of my running journey. Well, I like D3 because it's really a balance between your athletics and your academics and then your social life. And and one of them usually does not completely take over from the other two. And so I, I just had a very balanced college career and I really appreciated that. Um, now, you were an 800 meter runner in college. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. I did the 800 and um, in like some 400 as well, but not, not as seriously as 800. Um, and then, uh, yeah. And cross country as well. Um, which I think looking back, I feel like I would have excelled if I had chosen longer distances on the track, but I really enjoyed the 800 a lot as an event and what a powerful race it is. Powerful. That is, I think a very good way of describing the 800 because 
you also said it was fun. I don't think anybody thinks the 800 is a lot of fun. <laughs> it's a brutal I, I, race. Yeah, I was just recently recalling how, like, often if I was running 804 by four, the only way I could really get through the 800s, I would think I'm going to drop from the four by four, then I can finish this. Like, <laughs> like I will not be able to do a second event after this, but it's funny looking back at that and like feeling that dramatically about completing what feels like in my context now, such a short distance. And like, I've totally oscillated to the other side of things where I'm like finishing like 30 hour races. <laughs> it's nuts. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I still think the 800 is probably the hardest races I've ever done. Just like, yeah, it's brutal. Just like my parents would joke as spectators. It's just like everyone's just like bodies collapsing at the finish line. Everyone's just like hacking up, you know, who knows what. It's dramatic. Well, it's long enough to to really test you, but it's short enough just to be so fast that it's, it's just so incredibly grueling. Yeah. And yeah, I think people think that the shorter races are, are easier because they're over sooner, but that's yeah. really not the case, is it? Oh, no, not at all. I mean, that's, I guess, really like been my takeaway from, you know, running races as short as like a quarter mile up to 100 miles is it's like, you know, when you approach it right, it all takes on the same level of difficulty if you're, you know, bringing your best to it. And so you've raced everything from the quarter mile on up to the 100 mile. When you look at all these different race distances, which one still scares you the most to this day? (laughs) Uh, Probably probably the hundred miler because I haven't found the success with it that I'd like to. And it like still kind of, it always haunts me as, you know, one I want to pull together and really excel at. Um, so I'm still trying to wrap my brain around that one. (laughs) Yeah. I think the longer it gets, the more opportunity there is for things to go wrong. And so it does take a little bit more to put together a good race. There's the fitness, but then there's also the gear and the fueling and so many different aspects to it. Right. Just managing the day and managing what will inevitably go wrong is like kind of what it comes down to at that distance. You know, it's funny. I look back on all the different races that I've run and while I've never done an ultra, Mm -hmm. you know, the 3000 meter indoor race is one that still strikes fear into my heart. It's not the 800 because I'm, you know, in in track and cross country in college, I was a little bit more of a distance oriented guy, but 3k was just so scary because it's a distance event, but you run it like a mid distance event. And it's just, I I still have PTSD thinking about it. I can imagine that. That sounds pretty brutal. (laughs) (laughs) Now, what made you want to transition from the 800 in college to trail ultra marathons? I mean, these are, these are universes apart in terms of the fitness required, the skill and technique that's required. What, what, what's going on there? Totally. Um, Great question. It was definitely a transition of probably, gosh, I don't know how many years that was. Probably like it was four years between me graduating college and running my first ultra. So in that time, I went and moved out to LA and really realized that, you know, I think every runner who competes in college experiences this where when the college team is stripped away. It's like, if you're not going to go on professionally, like what is running going to mean to you? Are you going to do marathons? Are you going to quit it altogether? Are you just going to, you know, run for fun or train for shorter distances? Um, And so I realized that, you know, team or no team, I just love to run. And when I was living in LA, I had really no community around running. Um, I know that 
like, you know, in hindsight, I know there's a great running community there, but I didn't really stumble into it um, and just found myself still drawn to that daily practice of, of running and training. Um, so ran a few road marathons after school. Um, nothing like, um, I don't think that those road marathons at all, like line up to like performances I've found in running now. So I look back and I'm like, Oh wow. Like I totally could have, you know, like run so much faster or whatever. But, um, at the time it was, it was like the transition I needed. Um, so I started like really like when I was living in California, I'd go out to the mountains and climb and do all these like outdoor activities that were becoming increasingly important to me. And then I would come back from the weekend and catch up on miles. And so it kind of became this funny thing where I realized, Oh, I guess I can really put this together. And like, why am I not running when I go to Yosemite or to the Eastern Sierra? Like, and you know, rather than coming back and catching up on my laps around Silver Lake Reservoir. Um, so I started kind of dipping a toe into that and really started um, kind of just researching the culture around trail running a bit more and really um, the mystique of ultra running and started, you know, listening to podcasts and reading books and um, was really drawn to the community that the sport had around it. Um, and that was something I was really missing a lot at the time. So I really started looking at, okay, where can I move to find community around running? So, you know, I looked at Portland, I looked at uh, like Bay Area, I looked at Boulder and really quickly zeroed in on Boulder and moved here to like get into trail and ultra running. And like looking back, I'm like, man, I really just kind of muscled it into action. I was like, I am going to get into this and it's going to be a big part of my life. (laughs) And that's a cool thing looking back at um, just like that drive that I had to make it happen. So you moved to Boulder specifically for trail running. Now, was this before you were a sponsored pro athlete? Oh, totally. Yeah. Like I was, I mean, even like I said, like even in college, I was a, I was a probably like upper mediocre runner. Um, so like I've found way more success as a, as a, you know, as a runner now than I ever had in my whole life. Um, so, I mean, I really attribute a lot of that to like this, this drive to make it happen. Um, like I still remember the night before, my first ultra, which was the dirty 30, 50 K like around Boulder and golden gate park. And I was like, I remember I slept in my car, like by the starting line. And I remember I woke up that morning, I heard everyone kind of getting ready for the race. And I remember thinking like, this is going to be like, this is going to change me today. Like life is going to, like, I could just sense this fortuitous pivot that was about to happen in my life. And I don't know whether I was just sensing that it was going to happen or that I just made it happen. But um, really quickly, just kind of, you know, finished my first ultra and got really buckled down and pursued, you know, like, how can I be competitive with this? Um, had like a number of friends at the time who had were beginning careers as professional runners, like um, my friend Claire Gallagher and Kat Bradley, and they both won big races that year. And like, I remember having this first feeling of like these, you know, friends in my community that I was running with and watching them achieve these massive things and like starting to like to think, you know, like what can I do to, to compete on that level? Um, And so 
you know, really ever since it's been like an art of, you know, pursuing, pursuing, becoming the best runner that I can be. And I feel like I keep, I'm able to kind of keep surprising myself, but, um, you know, when I look at the greater picture of myself as a runner, it's not like I've just constantly been this, like, like an elite runner. I don't even like, I barely consider myself that now, but no, I do. But like, I'm always a little imposter syndrome about it because it's not like I was like, you know, D1 track star that went and ran elite marathons and pivoted to like excelling at ultras. Like it's just been a steady upward progression. So it's like a fun phase of my running career to be at. Yeah. And every runner, I think, takes a different journey to where they are. And you certainly don't have to come out of a D1 program and, you know, have that kind of success on the track or in cross country to then be a hell of a good trail runner. And Abby, I can't believe you did the Dirty 30 as your first ultra. That is not an easy race. What what year did you do it? Because I attempted that and had to drop out. Oh, really? Yeah. I think that was uh, 2016. So like, yeah, like my career has really been, you know, recent, <laughs> like it's all kind of been rising for me in the last few years. Oh, that's so cool. I, I tried the Dirty 30 50K in 2015, and I had to drop out around mile 17 or 18 with a knee injury. Is that, that course is just so incredibly technical, and uh, at least from what I was used to. Uh, and that was only, let's see, I had only been living here for less than a year. And so my introduction to trails in the front range was, you know, I hadn't run too many of them. And so for me to choose that as my first ultra. I think I bit off a little bit more than I could chew, but I'm glad that you're, you're, uh, successful at it where I wasn't. And, uh, you've (laughs) gone up from there. Oh man, it is a brutal race. Um, but you know, the, um, the woman running it, I can't remember her name right now, but she does such a great job with, you know, like really trying to encourage people to come run it as their first ultra, like the Sisu program that she has. And like, I remember, you know, getting all these emails before the race about first timers and all that. So, I mean, it's like little details like that, that just made me fall in love with the community. And like, yeah, it's pretty cool. I think her name is Megan Finney. Does that ring a bell? Megan Finney. That's it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I just saw her last weekend at the U S trail running conference up in Estes park. Oh, cool. Yeah. Did you like that? Was that cool? Yeah, it was really great. There were so many uh, interesting people there from the entire trail running community. And, you know, it was just a day hanging out with trail runners, talking about trail running. It was, you know, as you can imagine, it was a great way to spend a Saturday. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah. um, My friend Addie Bracey was up there and she was telling me about it. And I think maybe she spoke on something, but um, she did. Great experience there. Yeah. Now, I know with your track background and then now you're just like all in on trails, you know, they're, they're just such different disciplines. You know, I know running is running, but, you know, they're they're almost like different sports. When you first started racing trails, what surprised you the most when you first started competing in these longer trail races compared to, you know, what you were used to doing on the track? Totally. Um, I think like one of the most pleasant surprises was this like, very um unpredictable formula almost of who would be successful at it like it was not just like this um oh this person has the fastest marathon pr and they're totally gonna go 
you know, win this 50K, but like you would get these people that are come at it from a whole nother sport, like skiing or whatever, and are able to just, you know, crush like big climbs and technical terrain. And so it felt like this, like, I loved like you could have a creative approach to it and you could find what, what worked for you and what angle you wanted to come at it with. Like if you wanted to be doing a ton of flat running and then introduce some, you know, vert before your race, you could come at it from that way or as a cyclist or as a, a through hiker, you know? So I love that, that diversity that comes with the sport in that way, a diversity of sport type and like training preference. Um, it makes it a lot of fun and, kind of like always takes me by surprise. Yeah. When we were up in Boulder at that inside tracker event, one of the questions that I asked all you guys was, when do you know that you are ready to race? You know, what has to happen in your training? And it was so interesting hearing from the different folks there because it was all pretty different because, you know, I, I think the training that you guys are putting in, uh, is very, very personal and individualized based on, you know, what you've found to work for you and, and what you enjoy doing too. You know, for example, we were talking to Abby Levine and she does a lot of cycling and I think that's really interesting. And Anna Mae Flynn was doing a lot of cycling too. And, and I think there's some really creative opportunities to train for these races because, you know, they're so long and they require so much physicality and there's many ways that you can develop that. Oh, totally. Yeah. I mean, it constantly, yeah, like you said, like at the event that night, it was cool hearing how different our responses all were. I mean, someone was recently asking me like, okay, so coming from marathon training, what all will be different about like preparing for an ultra? And I was like, oh, a lot of things. I mean, you could definitely come at it that way of like, okay, this logical progression and getting my long runs longer each weekend, but you could also, you know, come at it from an entirely different perspective. I mean, I know ultra runners who do speed work three times a week and ultra runners who haven't done speed work in three years and neither necessarily like indicates who will perform better. And that's fascinating. Like what other sport does that happen in? Do you think that's because ultra trail running is still relatively new in in its development as a sport. And we haven't really figured out the best way to get people prepared for, you know, a multi hour long effort on technical trails at altitude. That's a good question. I think it's partially that, but I think it also is partially that there's this grit factor that is like kind of hard to pin down and hard to, you know, figure out like how to bring about. I mean, the fact that ultras have so much to do with kind of managing variables, managing your body, managing, you know, whatever the race throws at you, it means that, you know, people who are physically tough will do well, but it also means people who are mentally tough will do well. And you can have one without the other, you can have both. And <laughs> it's, it's a unique sport in that way. I mean, just the duration that a lot of the events um, demand, like, throws a lot of factors like just basic fitness out the window. Of course you need to have basic fitness, but there's a lot of other aspects that go into a successful race. Do you think you have both, both physical and mental fitness? I'm uh, constantly trying to work on both, but <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I, uh, I've been really focusing a lot more on the mental aspect this year. Um, been focusing a lot on, you know, where I find confidence as a runner, what, 
what that feels like during a good race, um, what it feels like during a bad race. Um, been trying to unpack that a lot more and, and zero in on it because it's huge. I mean, it's, uh, it's a big deal in ultra running. So yeah, I think like it's partially been a journey of finding what, what does like my coach asked me this once, like, what does like running like Abby look like out there? You know, how can I be myself out there? How, what does that look like? Um, cause so often you'll, you know, get these kind of tactical, um, tactical wisdom from people like you should smile more you should you know like be more serious take be more gritty be more but what does being more me look like out there and how can I set myself up for success that way that's kind of been a theme of mine this year I've been investigating more yeah and I think in in a in the you know as long as the races are that you're preparing for I think there's just more opportunity for you to explore different types of, uh, mental approaches to races, you know, just like there's more, um, you know, more diverse training methods to get you ready for say a hundred mile race. There's probably a lot of different ways to think about racing it from a psychological perspective too. Oh, totally. I mean, just even the difference in, you know, whatever the third, 4,000 foot climb in a race, if you're going up that third climb and you feel horrible about yourself and negative and you don't believe in yourself, that's going to slow you down compared to like, if you're like, yes, I'm in my element. I'm stoked. This is me. This is, I prepared for this. Like those are, that's like actual time (laughs) back in your race. I mean, if you're running, carrying like any sort of mental burden around with you, it can be really challenging. So speaking of burdens, let's talk about the dreaded acronym DNF. Have you <laughs> ever had to drop out of a race? I have not actually. Oh, that's a great answer. Yeah. I <laughs> I um I probably have some like unhealthy pride about this, but I have definitely marched in some uh some races that I probably shouldn't have finished. Um but it's been a really valuable thing for me as a runner. Um, I think especially as I've pursued, you know, being an elite trail runner more, it's something that I found is pretty uncommon. Often like, you know, when the day starts to turn South and if you're someone who's trying to win or be on the podium, like once it becomes unclear, like a lot of people will say, you know, I'm going to pull the plug and race again in whatever, two months or, Um, but I've kind of had, had it work out a few times where I've been like, nope, this is, I, I signed up for this. I'm going to finish this and whether it's ugly or not. So, um, I've definitely had some ugly finishes, but those have really shaped me a lot and kind of removed kind of like result perfectionism a little bit, if you will. Um, so that's been kind of like it's been a valuable thing for me to go through. And I love that term result perfectionism. And, you know, if if I look back on my running career and I dropped out of every race that I wouldn't have been proud of, even though I I finished it, there's been so many races I just never would have finished. (laughs) You're always going to run some bad races and that's just part of running, right? Oh, totally. I mean, I, I have been shaped so much more by, some of my ugly races than I have by my positive ones. I mean, I have way more memories of my horrible races. I felt every bit of it in a 
horrible, you know, way, but like when a race goes well and ultra running, it's kind of like, yeah, like I ate my gels, I drank my fluids, I ran my, you know, ran my race and it resulted well. But when it's bad, it's like, you've got a lot of stories and a lot that you endured to get to that finish and uh, kind of learning those, uh, those coping strategies has, you know, helped me find success in other races. So it's definitely a valuable thing. I think in ultra running in particular to fig- to go through those lows and figure out your, you know, your tactics when you face them. Where do you think the line is though, between finishing a race and, and having a tough race or result that, you know, you're probably not super proud of, but it was a good learning experience. And maybe afterward, you're still happy with yourself that you gutted it out and you finished it. Where's the line between that and making a poor decision that might cost you either maybe your health, your longevity in the sport or something else? Oh, totally. Yeah. I guess like, you know, the main, yeah, the main asterisks I would say are like, you know, long-term injury or actually I've, I think I've said this before, like my, my caveats are not to finish if it's long-term injury risk, or if your heart's not in it, I think that's another really valid reason. And sometimes it takes getting out there to realize your heart's not in it. And, uh, I totally understand that reason as well. I mean, everyone has their own reasons for dropping out of races, but those are the ones in my head that I'm like, I, I totally get that. But I think when your heart's in it and you're able to physically get to that finish line, I think there's a lot to be gained from, from marching it in. Yeah. Yeah. I think there, I think there is. And, you know, like I mentioned all the races that I've performed so incredibly poorly at, I look back on and, you know, a lot of the times I just have to laugh, you know, what, what else can we do, but just kind of laugh at ourselves say, I was either not prepared or mentally I was not there or, you know, I, my training hadn't been going well. And, and now we have this kind of almost funny story of, of just a terrible race and, and I can laugh at it now and that's okay. Oh, totally. Yeah. Like I talk about my bad races probably way more than my good ones. <laughs> <laughs> now, I know you've never dropped out of a race, but, you know, looking back on your career, what do you think might be your biggest failure as a runner? Oh gosh. Oh man. Um, probably I think, I think I, so I've run the Leadville 100 twice and, um, both, both years I went into that with this, with like a pretty like strong ego. And like, I think a degree of ego is necessary to compete compete in ultra running and to, or any sport really to, to try and win and to have, to believe that you can do that requires some ego. Um, but I think I, I think it kind of, um, because of that, I lost sight a bit of the humility required to successfully run a hundred mile race. And, uh, I think it inevitably set set me up for failure both times. Um, and I kind of had to learn that the hard way of, you know, just because I believe I can be on the podium at this race or I, just because I want it so bad doesn't mean that I deserve it or that I, or, or deserving it doesn't mean that you belong there, you're, that it's actually going to happen. Um, and kind of realizing that I needed to change my approach in racing to not just be, you know, I want to be doing well because I want to be a person that does well at ultras, but I want to do well because 
that's like part of the journey I want to have as a runner because I, you know, like, I'm, I guess I don't even know what the second version of that sentence is, but like reversing it so that it becomes about the process and about the journey and not this uh, outcome-based goal. Yeah. You know, I've spoke to a lot of sports psychologists and those runners who are more process oriented versus result oriented are always the runners that have a better mental relationship with running and who actually go on to achieve more and race faster just because you know they're focused on focusing on doing the right things all the time they're not just hoping to get on the podium and you know, focusing on whatever might happen after the race, you know, whatever the result is, they're really focused on the training that leads up to it and the journey of the race itself. And, and I think that's a really powerful distinction. I think I've even said that phrase for a long time, but it probably wasn't until within the last year that I really started to feel like I was running more geared towards process and outcome um, and to really feel that and to know I was doing it. And that was like a big realization for me to come to. Do you think that's because it takes a couple years of running ultras for you to find your groove and really kind of get into the swing of things? Yeah, I think, um, I think once I started to really care deeply about the sport, there's this you know, natural progression of, okay, I care about it. I want to do well at it. I believe I can do well at it. Um, and then this leap to like feeling like the, the, the tendency can be feeling like you need to achieve some result to have arrived or to have, to be part of, you know, part of the sport on a new level. And for a while, I really thought that, you know, I would have some, you know, breakout performance somewhere like at a race like Leadville, but it wasn't until, just racing more and having more experience at it that I realized, you know, I just wanted to like my love for the sport and my wanting to be a part of it didn't have to do with that. And like, um, that the performance is not the goal. The goal is for me to be racing happily and healthily and be a part of this community that I love so much. And, um, you know, it just so happens that also when you kind of like lessen your grip on the, on the outcome that, it'll also happen a bit more fluidly and uh, yeah, just playing that long game more has really served me and I want to race ultras for a long time. And um, you know, that's kind of part of it is realizing that it's going to be about my journey as a runner not this one time, you know, at this one race. That's a great long-term perspective. I, I wish I could bottle that up and give it to all the runners that I know. <laughs> oh my gosh, me too. I'm trying to tell myself every day. <laughs> it's, not, it's a process, isn't it? Yeah, it sure is. Exactly. <laughs> now, Abby, you mentioned two Leadville 100s and they didn't go too well for you. What, what happened in these races that, you know, didn't, you know, things didn't work out for you? Was it you simply not placing where you wanted to or did something else go on? Um, both years I had like some pretty severe lung issues that I still don't really know what they were. I mean, I know it sounds obvious, like, oh, you ran Leadville and you had some lung issues. Like, yeah, you were at 10,000 feet or whatever, but like, it was kind of bizarre both years. And I like went to a bunch of doctors after and like, um, actually in between Leadville one and two, like found out I had asthma. And so 
even had an inhaler and a TUE for Leadville number two, but then like the inhaler still was like not helping whatever this was. It kind of was this like um, almost like bruise like pain in my lungs. So like the pounding of running was like, was like brute felt like it was bruising my lungs. So um, yeah. So, so I'm kind of trying to, I haven't had it really since Leadville. So trying to kind of work backwards and think, how can I prevent this? But um, haven't run into it since. So, you know, like it's hard to still unpack all the things that I probably did wrong in those races, but (laughs) that was definitely one of the, the leading factors when I look back. Now, have you done other races where you're up that high in altitude where, you know, if, if the altitude was something that is triggering your lung problem, then it would, it might resurface. Well, you know, so I actually, so last year for, yeah, last in 2019, 2018 for Leadville, I ran the silver rush 50 miler like a month before and won that and had no lung problems that day. So I was like, Oh great. You know, maybe 2017 was a fluke and I'll be totally ready to race here next month because this day went great. But, um, I think it's some combination for me of the duration and altitude. So yeah, it was like a false alarm, I guess. (laughs) Now, are you going to think about it again or are you done with Leadville? Oh, it's definitely like I I was telling someone recently, it's like my like unrequited love or something like I want Leadville to work for me so bad, but uh, it just hasn't. I I hope to definitely be back someday, but I'll probably take a few more years off of it. And I'm like I uh, raced CCC at UTMB this year and like got really um, excited about that. So I'll probably be trying to get back there as much as I can, at least in the short term. And right now you're training for the North Face 50 next month. Is that right? Yeah. I um, just kind of decided that like a few weeks ago, I was planning to call it a season after CCC, but um, really was not as tired as I planned on being after that, um, both emotionally and physically. Like I think like a week later, I was already emailing my coach, like 2020 planning. Okay. Like I want to start in January here. And like, I just had all of this racing energy and motivation. And so thought, why not? Um, so it's one of my favorite races. So I'm excited to, to get back there. I've always thought that one of the best indicators of you being able to extend a season is you mentally wanting to do it and having that enthusiasm and that drive to continue training and racing. Because if you don't have that, then, you know, it almost doesn't matter what you're able to do physically. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like, I've had that with my coach before where I'm like, you know, like hoping maybe he'll give me some input on what would be a good race for me or whatever. And he's always just like, it's about what motivates you. And so if I'm motivated for North Face, like, let's go. (laughs) So you're totally right. That is like really what it comes down to. Otherwise, getting out the door every day is just going to be, you know, a drag. And it's a big commitment, especially with ultras and in terms of the buildup, the recovery. So that motivation is is key for sure. If you don't want to be out there before, you're definitely not going to find your reason for being out there at mile 40. <laughs> yeah, I struggled with this uh, in college because we always would occasionally keep training after the cross country season was over and run an indoor 5k at uh, the Reggie Lewis center in Boston. And it was great because, you know, you're strong after cross country, you're used to racing, uh, for us in D three, it was eight kilometers. And then you move down to the 5k, 
But the three weeks that you had to extend the season was just such a drag. And you've been building your base since about June. And it was always so challenging just to mentally get through those last couple of weeks. Oh, that's brutal. Yeah. Oh, man. So that was like on an indoor track and everything. Oh, yeah. Indoor track, 5K. So you're doing, I mean, I don't, I was 20 laps, 25 laps. I I think it's 25 laps. Yeah. I think I've stricken it from my memory. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Now, what's the North Face 50 course like and where is it? Um, so it uh, starts outside of Sausalito and um, basically is all around um, Marin County and those trails. Um, so a lot of big, I think it's like, it's something like roughly like 10,000 foot climbs kind of, you can kind of break it down. Like you're either going up or down at any given moment. So not much flats, um, but the trails are extremely runnable, um, a lot of fire roads. So definitely um, it, it runs fast. Um, and you finish by crossing the Golden Gate Bridge and ending in Christie Field in San Francisco. So it's a really exciting finish and, um, you know, usually draws a lot of fast people. So it's a lot of fun. Oh, yeah, that sounds epic. I mean, I'm sure you're just having these amazing visualizations of you like leading the charge across the Golden Gate Bridge in first yeah. place with your fist <laughs> pumping. Like, it just must be an amazing scene for you to envision. Oh, totally. It's it's funny you say that because, like, um, I, I'm a graphic designer for work by day and, like, at my office and all of the screens and conference rooms, it'll like flash through these photo slideshows. And there's this one of like the golden gate bridge. And I always like, whenever I see it, I'm like, Oh my gosh, I just get like this drop of nerves in me, like in the middle of some random meeting when it comes up. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Foreshadowing. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Now uh, with you living in Boulder and I know the trails in Boulder are pretty varied. I mean, you can find almost anything. Is it hard to prepare for a course like the North Face 50 with such runnable trails when, you know, a lot of the trails in Boulder are somewhat technical? Yeah, totally. Um, no, there's some, there's definitely some good ones that I think reflect the course while, um, like running up Bear Canyon's good or like Chapman Drive, which is kind of like a dirt road that goes up the backside of Green Mountains, pretty good. Um, and then I've just been like, kind of after a big summer in the mountains, been doing a lot more just like on the flats and on like the gravel paths around Boulder to just kind of get that speed going after like a summer of more big mountain stuff. So um, for me, it's kind of been like more of a fitness pivot. And then, yeah, like trying to get get my long runs in on, you know, some of those like some of those hills outside of Boulder, like, um, you know, Gold Hill and like uh, Portman Road and some of that, if you know, the if you know, the, some of those, but. This is great. It's like a, a tour of the best training venues in Boulder, Colorado. <laughs> or... Yeah. Yeah. No, there's a lot of, I love the kind of hilly dirt roads, like kind of in between Boulder and Ned. There's a lot to explore. Um, Switzerland Trail all that stuff. Um, you can piece together some really cool loops in there. So it's pretty good for pretty good for North Face. Well, Abby, I'm going to be rooting for you next month at the North Face 50. Thanks so much for spending some time with us today and hanging out and talking about your training and your thoughts on trail running. Uh, this was this was really fun. And I'm sure a lot of folks want to follow along with your training because you do some some really beautiful runs. And I know you capture a lot of great pictures on Instagram. I've enjoyed following you there. Where are some of the best places to follow along with your training and racing? Yeah, probably on Instagram. I'm abby.k.hall. And then I'm on Strava too, Abby Hall. My thing is 
a yellow circle for both of those. So I'm obnoxiously easy to spot. (laughs) Yeah, I I appreciate that, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, this was really great to, to talk more. And yeah, I really appreciate it. All right. Well, thank you, Abby. Yeah, thank you. And there we have it. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. And if so, an honest review on Apple Music is incredibly appreciated. And please, I hope you check out our sponsor for today's show, SteadyMD. I couldn't do this podcast without the support of our sponsors. And SteadyMD is a very interesting company. It's led by Sub3 Marathoner, Dr. Josh Emder. And their goal is to give you a personal doctor online that's just for runners to help you stay fit, healthy, injury-free, and competitive. And the best part, there's no copays, no waiting rooms, or surprise bills. Instead, you're going to get same-day responses from a doctor who's there for you 24-7. So you can get prescriptions filled or see a specialist a lot more easily since your doctor knows your needs. And if you haven't seen a doctor or maybe even a physical therapist who has no experience with runners then you know just how valuable this is to hard-charging athletes. Having a doctor who gets you and your running goals and what training does to the human body is priceless. Go to steadymd.com slash strengthrunning to see if there are any spots left and how you can benefit from having a primary care physician who's also a runner. That's steadymd.com slash strengthrunning to see all the details they've put together for you. Thanks so much for listening to the show today. And as always, if you have any feedback or questions for me, don't hesitate to reach out. My email is support at strengthrunning.com and I'm here to help. Talk to you soon.